Welcome to the Scanon Podcast, your weekly look at the world of film news, Irish International. I'm your host, Darren Winnie, and joining me are... Jay. <laughs> when you're ready, Grace. Yeah. 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 We, we start with an easy question. I will... <laughs> Who am I? Who are any of us, Grace? The answer is Grace. Grace is here. <laughs> you shouldn't have to pee. You should have to pee, though. I am Grace. It's just me, Grace. And... And Grace. <laughs> it is a tough Ronan. one. Hello. Okay, so uh, normally it's a bit of a challenge to determine who we ask, who we saw first, but it seems like one of our panelists is particularly on the ball this evening. Jay, what have you watched since last we talked? Fantastic. You, you can remember your own name. <laughs> well done, everyone. Um, this bodes well for me. Yep. Uh, yes, you know, so. <laughs> I've definitely seen some films. You have, you have plenty of time, Grace. Um, yeah, okay. All right, I can do it. Uh, we'll start off by... The end of the month meant the end of the uh, the Columbia Awards on uh, on the Criterion Channel. R.I.P. Uh, I got to watch I think ten. They were running for more than a month, were they? Surely. No, it was the end of the month when it finished. Oh, yeah, they, they, they cycle out start, at the right? end of the month. Generally speaking, yeah. they cycle out certain collections and stuff. But sure. it was there for two or three months. But uh, I didn't this get them all. Very serious. Hmm. But uh, you know, it was okay. I had plenty of time, and then it's like shit. I've so watched the last Listeners, break. remember so, that like anything movie all the time. And I would yeah, say yeah. anything that Jay recommends here, you cannot watch. <laughs> well, you can. I mean, you can find them other places. They exist. A lot of them exist yeah. on YouTube and stuff like that. You'll probably <laughs> Lazy get them. Lazy feckers, just go out and look for them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but the last one we watched was uh, Experiment in Terror, uh, which is a Blake Edwards uh, noir. Who oh, he yeah. did this after um, I think it was Breakfast at Tiffany's, and obviously predating like Victor Victoria and stuff like that. That so, masterpiece. Yes, one of the greats. I swear, Terror is fascinating. It's and it's a good fascinating learn. Um Hey, <laughs> for the noir, it's actually quite long. It's like just over two hours, uh, which is quite long for a noir. Like they're generally around a kind of eighty to ninety minutes. Well, you have been spoiled by the Columbia Noir. Well, that's now. true. Actually, I have been. Uh, and this stars um, Glenn Ford and Lee Remick and the young Stephanie Powers. Ooh. And this story about a woman who kind of comes home, comes back to her home after a day's work. And a guy kind of accosts her in the in the kind of garage when she parks up, saying that you know uh, she has to take money from her bank, and you know to be people watching her, and her sister will be threatened and stuff like that, and she's not to contact the police. And it's like kind of kicks off from there. It's this kind of, and it it is quite terrifying. Like the 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 scene in the in the garage is shot in that kind of noir way, and just kind of one little the light light lights, shot yeah. coming at an angle, and and he he's this kind of asthmatic voice, so it's kind of a uh, this heavy breathing kind of thing. So it makes it ultra creepy in the in the way noirs can be. And but eventually, uh, Glenn Ford is the FBI agent who she manages to get in contact. So they have to kind of do a kind of an investigation without being an investigation as such that they don't let on that they know. So it becomes this kind of weird noir horror hybrid. It's it's a really dark and strange kind of odyssey. The city looks really interesting. There's great compositions and so much arresting imagery, really strange kind of viewing angles and stuff. And the classic kind of, you know, the classic noir stuff of the blinds kind of across the room kind of thing is all pleasant sort of like and correct. Yeah, exactly. But it has a, a great score. It's kind of really off-kilter score by uh, Henry Mancini of uh, The oh, Fame, which yeah. also Blake Edwards would have made uh, later on. Um, it, it's really good. so stylish. I have really, really loved it. Probably a little too long, to be honest. You could probably knock about 15, 20 minutes off of it without really hurting it. But uh, very, very good. And uh, yeah, so it's 1962 that was. And it's 
Yeah, there's a couple I didn't get to, unfortunately, including one I started watching and fell asleep to, unfortunately. So we, we can't talk about that. But, uh, you know. Such I life. wonder what it could possibly have been. Uh, Let's not bury the lead. It was late night. I was tired. Was it the big sleep? It was the oh, film called The Burglar. Back wrong. Uh, yeah, a film called The Burglar, which I'd never heard of. And I saw it about 40 minutes off, which I was really enjoying. And then woke up for the last five minutes. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of a different film that you gave up on. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. This one, the Noir ones, I tried to squeeze another oh. one in. It was a little uh, foolhardy at a kind of late evening uh, thing. But I'll, I'll be back to the other one I gave up next week, perhaps, because I may watch the end of it. <laughs> but it was dreadful. Um, anyway. Sounds pretty grave, if you ask me. Thank you, Darren. I'm uh, not getting these puns. What was the film? We'll dig it up next week. Ah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Figure it out, Ronan. We, we don't give answers. We just give puns. Yeah. You're dead wrong, though. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You can Where guess you again, but I guarantee you it'll come back wrong. Sometimes they do come back, though. Yeah. Sometimes... For discussions like this, dead is better. Oh God! I'm sorry, so I zoned out because I was reading about. But even Grace knows what we're talking Spider-Man. about. Yeah, sorry. Uh? But more on that later. More on that later. Um, I did. I meant to mention um, um, Booksmart last week because I'd seen it and didn't get a mm-hmm. chance to. So I, I think because I watched Metal Heart this week, which I'm going to mention now as well. I think you can probably take the two of them together. Fire um, take incoming. Yeah, no, no. I I like Booksmart. Um, Quite a bit, actually, in a, in a, it's one of those things that I, I kind of really enjoyed when I was watching it, and I think I gave it like two, three and a half stars when it came out, in a kind of slightly euphoric kind of way. Mm. But then I kind of lost half a star over the next few days as I yeah. thought about it more, and it's it's a strange one because I, I like the performances are great. The two leads in it are really fantastic. Uh, Beanie Feinstein is it? Feinstein uh, and. Um, the girl I can never remember her name. Caitlin Decker. Thank you, yeah. young people that remember these things. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're great in it and really enjoyable. But I, I did feel that the second half kind of put the obstacles with in front of them were quite artificial, and I started the joins of the film started to re- become apparent, and some of the kind of moments within it got a little strained. So you weren't wild about it. No, but I think it's a very interesting and very uh, well-made debut. I think it shows a lot of promising. Was is a really interesting director. I think some really nice shots on it, but I uh, wasn't completely sold on it. Whereas Metal Heart, I I kind of liked a little bit more. Um, I think it's uh, O'Connor is a very empathetic director, and he has a really good cast in it. Uh, like Jordan Jones, who we've talked about before in I Used to Live Here, she's fantastic. Uh, Liam McNamara, Aaron Heffernan, who plays this kind of lovable lunk, and actually just pockets the film really, yes, really it's, good. It's, a, it's a great little kind of scene stealer, and he does it effortlessly. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of darkness within it. Um, and they do try to kind of, I think the marketing kind of avoids that a little bit, probably wisely. There's a kind of creepiness to it, Moe Humphrey's character. Yeah. There's this kind of older, kind of layabout bit of a guy who was in a band once. Yeah, 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 yeah. Almost important. We, we've all almost met those famous. guys. Uh, but yeah. it's really charming and I really like the end of it too but uh, very but good they just weren't ready man yeah I, I really enjoyed it um, and I'd recommend people get out and see it while it's still knocking around cinemas um, and finally I will mention don't you point fingers at me Darren uh, <laughs> I watched uh, Chantal Ackerman's Hotel Monterey um, on the Criterion Channel because there's a few of her films on I've seen Jean Man and News From Home this is my third one I've seen and it's astonishing it's a 62 minute completely silent and I mean completely silent no music no voices no nothing oh. like there's no, no there's no sound whatsoever and it kind of it's a it's composed of um, 
hallway shots of hotels that last for kind of long enough, five, ten minutes, anywhere in between those. At one stage, there's a scene where the cameras in the lift that goes up and down. And this hotel is really old. This is the 1972 film. So the Hotel Monterey, New York, is now gone. Apparently today's in now. But it's like, it's one of those kind of yellowed walls, uh, grimy kind of people hanging around who are a little odd kind of characters in it. And this is kind of really a strange effect that it like, because it's a silent film, essentially. And it's a really interesting snapshot of a time that's long gone. And what I found really interesting, and because that comes a visual director and doesn't really care for a kind of dialogue, even with even the, the fictional stuff I've seen, she doesn't really care. You start to kind of, your mind starts to do a strange thing when you're watching it, that you start to fill in blanks in the kind of sense, because you're looking at everybody going, practically everyone in this film is probably dead now. Like, because it's a documentary, right? So, and it's nearly, not far off 50 years. It was three years before I was born it was made. And, you know, I'm not 10. So, and then there's this one shot of a woman that's pregnant sitting on a chair. And you think, okay, that baby might be like 40 something now. And probably the only person getting out alive in this film. And it has this kind of really strange effect of really hypnotic. And a kind of film builds, there is a narrative through line. It kind of starts in the kind of a basement-y kind of part of it and ends up on the rooftop kind of doing this extraordinary final shot of a slow pan across the kind of skyline of uh, New York. And the part of it that's not, you know, it's not the Chrysler building and stuff like that. It's a very strange kind of thing. It's really breathtaking. The framing is unbelievable. And I just, I was enthralled for the whole 60 minute runtime and I've got to watch more of it absolutely unbelievable stuff Ronan you will adore yeah, it you've won me over here I'm um, getting on the Sacrament train ASAP uh, essential and we have made a, as a Varda is 80 minutes long and Ackerman <laughs> is now 62 minutes long so you know that'll be our future that is the decree yes go ahead I am done right, and Grace <laughs> God what have you I'm watched since prepared. last we talked um <clears throat> hold on let me try and figure this out okay so the first film I've watched since last we talked is Stoker um. by Park Chan-wook, which I really liked. Um, I think I'm all but fully caught up with Park Chan-wook now, except for a couple of his older Korean movies. Um, but this was really good. This really reminded me of Neon Demon in its sense of it being kind of like a, well, a lot like a very twisted fairy tale that was very stylized and kind of takes all of the characters and dials them up to 100 and just plonks them right in the middle of this really ridiculous, almost cartoonishly twisted world that's also somewhat like something out of the Addams Family. Um, but yeah, this was really Those interesting. Those tubs of ice cream from the 1950s, uh-huh. for example. Yeah. But it's, no, it was really interesting in terms of like um, taking that really kind of goth aesthetic and then just carrying it to its logical conclusion. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not sure if it's one of his best, probably because he didn't write it. So it doesn't have that same sense of unique symmetry, I suppose, in terms of the way that it's made. Um, But the story is really cool. And I like that it takes um, the lead character and just basically like the whole kind of premise seems to be about um supporting her to become this complete freak who just gets in touch with her urge to kill people i guess i don't know if that's blurry um yes which we all have um but yeah no it's um it's good feeling very uncomfortable in this moment (laughs) (laughs) darren does not endorse murdering people um so i enjoyed that um, what else? Oh, I watched The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari also, which I had never seen before and also really liked that. This is also kind of a weird one because it's one of those things that's so old and 
iconic that at this stage it feels like I've seen about four million bad interpretations and imitations of it. So then sitting down and watching the original was actually kind of trippy. Yeah, it's a that, very like, strange, strange film. Yeah, but also you forget that silent movies are quite short and yeah, yeah. quite delightful in many ways, like the, the artistry involved and the creativity yeah. and the commitment to conveying so much through just sheer force of will. And v- like it's all visual, so mm-hmm. the creative endeavours in it, like uh-huh. I remember reading, sorry, no, not to kind of wander no. up, but I remember reading a kind of, I think it was when the film historian saying that film would have been incredible if there had been another 10, maybe 15 years of silent cinema. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that they yeah, would have yeah. actually had more time to develop kind of visual ways. Sound was incredibly detrimental in a way. Yeah, yeah. 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 sound kind of ruined a well, little bit. Because sound becomes radio. Uh, yeah. Sort of yeah. Same uh-huh. way the television is too heavily influenced. So when you see something like Caligari, I think it's really yeah. fascinating in that regard of the I possibilities. the theatricality of it all and the way like in silent movies, the performances are so unique and distinctive. Like I know it's almost it's a OTT, cliche. Like, you know. Yeah, it's almost yeah. a cliche at this point to bring up people whose careers kind of went to hell after talking movies came in. But you can really see why because the level of performance that's required to sell something in a silent movie yes. is so specific that yeah. you can imagine it being something that only a very few it's a very small transform. number of people are particularly yeah. gifted at yeah. um, and the sets in this are just gorgeous they're, stunners, like they're aren't they? really just like something out of a twisted nightmare it's, yeah. it's wonderful and even the way like that kind of distorted sense of place is used to convey the confusion within the plot and yeah. everyone's kind of sense of what the fuck and everything yeah. else like it's just it's really good um and i really liked how immersive it was and it really says something that something like that can hold up so well even after however many years Jeez, it's not been. probably not a far off 100 years yeah, yeah, yeah i need more. to check how old it is exactly but um but yeah so that was really good and i'm glad i've finally seen it um i also watched night moose the kelly Riker uh, movie yeah um which i liked but not as much as i expected I think I've had, I've only seen one other Reichardt movie, which is Certain Women. Is that what it's called? Yes. Why am I saying? I get it mixed up with 21st century women or 21st century women. So do I, even though I haven't seen 21st century yeah. women either. Which is kind of strange. Them. 21st century scene at Benning one, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Okay. And Greta Gerwig, more importantly. Um, but yeah, no, Night Moose is, it's interesting. I mean, it has all the hallmarks anyway of something that's interesting. But I think Reichardt's style from the two movies that I've seen anyway is so language and so particular that it's not it's not quite enough to engage me because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I'm staring at this particularly beautifully realized painting for a really long time but I'm not getting any sense of depth from it and even though objectively I could stand back and say okay I think I know what character A is going through I think I know what character B is supposed to represent but I don't feel like that comes across particularly well okay. and you just get this impression of a bunch of people like the way it, it's made is is really really good in the sense that it's it's definitely realized with this really kind of portentous air of dread and and that comes through quite well i think especially in the run-up to what they're doing at the yes. dam i think there is quite a good bit of tension there and a good bit of kind of you know ominousness and everything else um but that just doesn't translate into the human characters i felt like there just wasn't enough for me to really anchor to them and follow them through this and i found myself kind of wishing that i could see what was happening from a more neutral perspective because I just wasn't yeah, invested that's fair in enough. the characters um, to follow it all the way through. So that was unfortunate, but um, but it was an interesting watch, I feel. It did feel a lot longer than it was, though, which is probably not a good thing. I'm sort of mm. sitting there waiting for... It didn't move, is what you're saying. Yes, <laughs> pretty <Wow>. much. <laughs> well, so um, it's a heavy commitment for one night. And then I also watched um, Spider-Man Homecoming, 
last week, even though it feels like it's been years since I saw it for some reason. Probably because this film is about 800 years long. I don't <laughs> know why it, it felt so long when I was watching it at a reasonable hour on a Tuesday evening, but this movie just kept going. And I don't know why it was so long. Like... I liked it in the sense that I like this interpretation of Spider-Man. I think he's really cute. And I like this whole, like, he, he has this sort of, like, anchored in the community. He just wants to do his best sort of vibe, which I think is quite sweet and endearing. Um, and the characters in general are quite sweet and endearing, the supporting cast. Um, and Michael Keaton's villain is interesting as well, considering the, the context of American society in which he's portrayed as this kind of, like... Um, how would you call it? Blue collar. Oh, he's, he's um, a fantastic Trump. Red blooded right. American who is sort of effed over by the government and but kind of just decides to get his own back in a very particular way. It's like not, that is. It's not even that. It's it's like the level of attention to detail where he is. He's, he claims mm -hmm. he screwed over and he has a legitimate grievance about like how regulation screwed yeah. him over and stuff like that. But you and go to his he house uses and that to enrich himself. Yeah, but you go. Yeah, you go <laughs> to his house. He's complaining about how he's put upon how he's like the working backbone of America, and you go to his house and it's palatial. Yeah, like he's not at all struggling but presents himself as struggling in order to further his own narrative, which is absolutely yeah. fascinating. And I would and then just to, you know, emphasize that finally at the end, if you haven't seen this bit coming, and sorry, this is spoilery if you haven't seen it, um, the girl whose name I've already forgotten, that Peter Liz, is in love with Liz. throughout this movie, turns out to be Michael Keaton's daughter. Shock. Yeah, that was one of the famous Darren has an encounter with the internet moments when I mentioned <laughs> that Michael... It's not just every day for you in the internet. This is every day now, but one of the early ones was when I mentioned that in Spider-Man Homecoming, Michael Keaton has a nice house. That was considered a spoiler. I didn't mention that anybody else lived there. I didn't mention that Peter was there at any point in the story. I just mentioned he had a nice house. And somebody yelled at me and said, that's a spoiler for the movie. That's a lot People are weird. I know. They're really weird. But yeah, no, this is good. It's just, it's just too long. Like, just way too long. But the thing that I think, and I'll probably come back to this when we talk about the other Spider-Man movie, which just came out this week, which I saw yesterday and we'll talk about in the new releases. The thing that I like about this and the way that Spider-Man was presented in Civil War is that there is a sense in this, at least, that Tony Stark, who appears liberally, but not too liberally, at least in my opinion, um, is really actively trying to protect him and shield him from some of the wider evils in the universe. And then there's this really weird tonal shift in that sense in the new one that doesn't really work for me um so it's interesting to see the way that's presented here before later movies turn it on its head yeah, my issue with homecoming is and the tony stark thing is that like the arc with tony is that spider-man tries to deal with things that are small and local or whatever but then gets embroiled in something bigger tony tells him no you're a kid you should actually like do kid stuff and like focus on doing small things because that's what you're good at. Right before community. he drags him off to Berlin and throws him into the middle of the oh, Avengers. Well, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's, that's a whole issue with Civil War of itself. But even in like Homecoming is that you have this whole idea of being a friend, quote unquote, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. But you have this weird movie insistence. And again, something that happens throughout the Marvel films where the character arc consists of character is told not to do something. They do something. It goes horribly wrong. In a conventional character arc, they learn from their mistakes and they adapt and they don't repeat the same mistakes. But in, and I think Homecoming is one of the great examples of this, instead of learning that he needs to be small and better and focus on what's important and like trust Tony to handle the big stuff, Peter instead does exactly what he did that caused all the trouble and danger the first time and prevails, which is a very odd arc. Yeah, I don't necessarily see okay. it that way, but we have argued about this we at length and the MCU is in the timeout corner <laughs> and we are not going to hash this up again. All right. Absolutely so, backing up this. Yes. All right. Because uh, I don't want to have to run out of the room with the cake. Um, so. 
there is cake, yeah. listeners. Uh, Ronan, what have you watched since last we talked? So we haven't talked in a long time. No. Um, and we're going to talk about films. this. We're going to talk about this when we get to the top ten. You either saved me or abandoned me. I'm not sure. <laughs> Where, what was there was another dog movie that we could have gone. No, because there was never any way that was happening. I am. It was adorable though. A Republican. I refuse to <laughs> indulge. He will not take the Queen's shilling in this regard. Uh, so I guess the things I've seen since fall under three broad crack categories. I'll quickly run through some things I've seen on Mubi. There was Spike Lee's Crooklyn, which I like very much. Me too. It uh, has a really fascinating kind of view of, there's an autobiographical aspect of it too, of Lee's sisters contributed to the script. I should say co-wrote the script. Um, they uh, really create this fully realized sense of the world they grew up in. Uh, and there's a fascinating section where they go to the it's extraordinary and, and it's perspective the camera changes, changes very yeah. strange the, an anamorphic lens on it and there's no kind of correction to the distortion you get with that it creates this weird sense of seeing yourself in a different light and, and having your view of the world distorted landscape. yeah yeah absolutely it's absolutely fascinating um it doesn't stand up to his very best because no, no. I think there's almost a formulaic aspect to the script that it's a coming of age oh, it's a slice of life in and that regard yeah. in a sense there's almost something radical about that because you don't get that about big sprawling black families in Brooklyn uh, enjoyed it very very much though uh, Funeral Parade of Roses is a Japanese queer film from I think the 60s I missed this it was 69 um, I think uh, I missed it when it was on it's mad it. it's like it's it gone for a movie now for yeah. a couple of weeks at this point but uh, if, if it ever comes your way well worth catching it's just a really really strange look that plays with ideas of genders in this mad mixed up kind of gangster nightclub plot absolutely all over the place in the best kind of ways it knows that it's all over the place and it's playing around with that uh, and just for its time fascinating because uh, you know the kind of expansive Japanese queer cinema now is limited so to think that you got something that was this progressive and weird and I should say as well that there, there's a lot of stuff in there that is you know uh, misguided but you would expect that for the time it's really really unusual um, and thrilling to see it's it's that kind of stuff that I think movie is great at throwing up yeah. I hadn't heard of it before it has something of an underground reputation uh, Lemonade is a new Romanian film they had which just completely conforms to the kind of uh, stereotypical view of what Romanian films are in that they're dark and depressing and very long shotted and I've been complaining about these for a couple of years I love Romanian cinema Romanian cinema has done some of the best stuff in European cinema over the last two decades almost at this point but there is a certain um a certain thing you get with the way they're received internationally that more and more Romanian filmmakers think they need to conform to that. To, they need to, to make films that, that are like uh, yeah. The Death of Mr. Lazarescu, yeah. that kind of thing. And it's quite restrictive because the best Romanian films I've seen the last couple of years looking at them are comedies that play brilliantly at home but just don't get exported because we don't export foreign comedies usually. Um, so I didn't like this very much. It's set in the States and there's a lot of like aggressive, difficult stuff about, you know, um, uneasy sexual relationships and it's just miserable for, for no real reason other than that's what people think sells. It's quite cynical, I think. Um, what else did we have? Ricky is a Francois Ozan film. Um, I like Ozan a lot. He makes really playful, interesting films that are always like extremely different. I'm a little... Um, I'm, a little, you're a little I'm not quite sure. Yeah. I've seen convert. things I've liked, I've seen things I didn't like. Have you seen In the House? Yes. That's one of the ones from the last couple of years I really enjoyed. Mm, yeah, no, I liked work. it. I did like it. It just... I hope that, do you have the feeling you're being manipulated by a filmmaker yes, in a way yeah, that yeah, it just yeah. makes you a little comfortable yeah, I've seen so. Swimming Pool as well which had a similar effect to me and very I strange. haven't seen that one yeah. um, and I've seen one more which I can't remember the name of but 
I don't know. I still don't understand yeah. them. I still I still watch more of them. Yeah, yeah. But I'm still not quite sure where I stand. They're them. really strange, playful. Totally, sort of, you can't quite odd. get your hand around them. They do strange sort of shifts. The last minute, uh, the Double Lover was one that came out last year that I really, really liked. Uh, mm, it was one of my it. highlights from cinema releases last year. Uh, Ricky is absolute bobbins. It's his worst <laughs> film that I've seen by far. It's this whole thing about. It starts as this sort of Dardenne-esque social realism that really works for the first half hour about a mother who has two kids by two different men and is struggling to put up with uh, just put up with them <laughs> struggling to raise them uh, on a, a factory job that doesn't pay too well uh, the second child she has had slowly starts to sprout wings and that's the, the premise of the film uh, ah. the child grows wings and flies around and it's this weird satire that's just quite toothless didn't work for me at all um, by far Ozan's worse he's quite is, prolific as well so he, he, is, yeah, he brings out you know, three films every two years yeah. kind of thing wow but which is you know impressive that this is the first time I've seen that doesn't work okay uh, the front page then is Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau doing um, Bring Up Baby isn't it His Girl Friday His Girl Friday sorry um uh, it's nowhere near as good but it's a lot of fun you know Billy Wilder made this uh, he knows what he's doing very funny script Lemon and Matteo um, together are always Lemon and Matteo together absolutely wonderful I mean aside oh. from is it I would oh. see or I haven't seen that what's the one I'm thinking of the late stage collaboration hey, there are a couple I, of I, I like Grumpy Old Men so I want to have a bad word like. Grumpy Old Men's a lot of fun yeah okay. it is, it is. And, and Margaret as well which is fabulous yes. and she's great she is this is the one where they're on a gay cruise if I remember correctly oh my it, and it's a 90s film as wow. well which, yeah there we go okay yeah. that could be a problem because there, there's the odd, there's the odd <laughs> line in the front page which is very sort of uh, you know we're in the 70s it's like guys you know this isn't don't be saying it's out things. to see is what I'm thinking of out to see. 70s is weirdly 70s was weirdly in stuff. between in it yeah it is yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a character here who is like Oh, it's not a gay cruise. That's, that's the one with that. That's the one with Cuba Gooding Jr. and Roger Moore. Right? <laughs> Wait, what? what? <laughs> out to Hang sea. on, why? No, no, no. Don't worry to leave. Don't fuck out to sea. Tell me the Roger Moore one. I want to hear about that. Uh, the Roger Moore sort of gay cruise film. Do you not remember <laughs> no, these? There, were like, no. there was a while in the mid-90s. I don't know why Like there was this obsession with like cruise liners. or t- Maybe because location. Maybe because they're a very cheap location to shoot on. I don't remember. Maybe? So had, so Hang on. International boat trip. waters. Boat it's, trip. It's from 2002, actually, to give an example, which is two straight men mistakenly end up on a gays-only cruise. Okay, that's guaranteed starring to be awful. Cuba Gooding Jr. and Horatio Sands. That sounds awful. Yeah. Who else Roger, Roger Moore is the other big draw. Lin Shay, actually, um, of like the Conjuring movies and something about Mary as well as in there, for example. Uh, Vivica A. Fox is probably oh. the uh, the sort of big draw there. This yeah. sounds appalling. I can see it now. I Roger Moore it. as the captain. No, Roger Moore is exactly, yeah, that's exactly the role. He's captain the guy who gives, ended up in that. Well, of course he, he is. He gives, them the, uh, he gives them advice, I think. He ends up being their sort of like... Uh, Sorry, good dad. Cyrano de Bergerac sort of kind, <laughs> kind of quality. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I was thinking of Out to Sea, which stars Brent Spiner, of all things. As Brent well. oh. Spiner? Yes. That's a name. <laughs> that is Star a Trek, name. isn't it? Star Trek, Data, yes. Yeah. Uh, he of, was it the, that god-awful one, The Master of Disguise? No. no. Over my head. <laughs> all right, then. 
Anyway, sorry. Uh, and the best of the movie bunch by some distance. Hadn't seen this, hadn't really had the opportunity. And it's the kind of thing that I think you need to be in the right frame of mind. Night and Fog. The, uh, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, the Holocaust oh, documentary. Wow. Short as well. It's about 30 minutes long. Yeah. It plays, it's, you know, extremely matter of fact and difficult, very harrowing footage. And just, uh, it's, it's one of these great historical documents that, you know, doesn't hold back in any way and letting you know this is no. what it looked like, this is what happened, this is how it came to happen. But it has this phenomenal coda the last five minutes where it sort of says this could easily happen again and yeah. watching in the context of now Jesus yeah. Christ what a smack in the stomach yeah. that um, um, that it, absolutely knocked the crap out of me and it is that kind of juxtaposition of footage and the urgency of the voiceover yeah in yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah. and it is urgent and desperate in the sense yeah. of uh, I held it together I think to the point where it's like and all this is woman's oh, hair yeah. and I fucking nearly hit the yeah. floor it's unreal how bad it is and uh, yeah it's it's a grave warning like of kind of how people can do unspeakable acts yeah. and yeah and, and we're in horror that you um, get here the week that we've had yeah yeah. It's, yeah, it's, yeah it's 30 minutes of the toughest 30 minutes I've watched I watched it uh, I think a couple of years ago and I, I occasionally think it pops into my head imagery from it it's fucking insane and it finishes so strongly and saying yeah. you know this is not about reliving the horrors of the past just as a memorial this is a warning a yeah. constant present warning and yeah in the context of the world we live in now it's uh, it should be watched a lot um, out of curiosity um, and I know that we're kind of time box here but I might allow this uh, the Up series yes do I remember there being some calls for discussion of- yeah there might yes. have been a little discussion oh, we okay. yeah because I know that you and Ronan so Jay and Ronan have both kind of yeah, we, want to talk about it we um, back in the olden days of American Netflix when everybody had access to it, yeah. it American just, Netflix. It, it was, and, and it was back also, in 2012. Yeah, when they had a, a they had a huge amount more content. And it's not so much anymore, but yeah, and pretty much you could just change a couple of the NSNs and you know, everybody had a look. Uh, the, the up series popped up in it, and I so it was just ahead of the release of 56 Up, yes. which came out in January 2013 in the US. And I think it was Ronan's. Uh, Kind of, I think you're doing capsule views at the time. Yeah, about yeah, it. That's what I, series, I, yeah. And myself, and my wife watched it over about ten days. I think uh, the whole thing from seven up to till fifty six up, and then we watched it fifty six up, and it it's extraordinary. And in the context of that, this year and a couple of weeks ago, sixty three up aired over three nights on ITV. Um, and yeah. It's a lot. It's just got this extraordinary weight of history behind it. And the fascinating thing is that it very rarely has dealt with, you know, the sort of overarching themes of history. You know, it doesn't get into politics very much. It doesn't get into social change. There's a little bit more of that in this episode with Brexit and Trump that it touches on. But previously it hasn't really at all. I mean, people have brought it up at their leisure, but the the series hasn't pushed them to discuss it. But you have now the eighth film where you've spent, I think they range anywhere from 30 minutes long to three hours long, depending on the, the episode. Um, This is the eighth installment of it where you're revisiting these people and just the ordinariness of their lives but it's it's fascinating the kind of incidental things that pop up during it you know it's um it's originally set out to sort of get an idea of whether the social class you're born into in britain has a lingering effect on the way your life will pan out and while it's very much still touching on all those things it's branched out in much 
odder, stranger ways yeah. where where the people, based on what they discuss, they've taken it different ways. I think my favorite part of 63 Up is the point where one of the female participants, and there are only four of the original 14, tears ribbons out of the uh, director, Michael, Michael Apted, yeah. who was a researcher on the original but has directed all the seven episodes since, and says to him, you know, throughout the entire time we've done this, all the questions you've asked me have been extremely sexist. And he accepts that and he puts it all in the film. Um it's it's a fascinating chronicle of that kind of thing, the social changes we've had, because nobody would have said something yeah. to, like even that to him yeah. back in, yeah. Yeah, even seven years ago, not as much. Um, it's, it's really fascinating. And there are loads of little strands like that that have sort of floated out from the various episodes over the last couple of decades. What I found fascinating at some point, and I'm not sure which one it is, probably like 35 or something, where... The show, the documentary, which is a kind of faithful enough documentary, but then the show becomes folded into it because the people are aware of the participants in the streets. So the documentary and the pe- people's reaction to the documentary becomes part of the documentary. So yeah, it's this yeah. folding in on itself. Yeah, yeah, and in an extraordinary way and still extraordinary ways in that regard. And like fit six up if it was about anything it was about kind of a lot of people at that age, their parents are starting to die and stuff. Where 63 up people are kind of facing their own mortality. Yeah. And not to give anything away in that regard. I don't think spoiler culture really works in this regard, but it, you know, it's absolutely fascinating. Regard, you're like you're in. I was in bits watching it, hoping they'd make it through. Right? Yeah, because it's, it's, it's extraordinarily tense. Like, yeah. uh, despite being wonderful, because I feel like I've grown up with these people. Even though I'm only, <laughs> like, I, like, I feel like, the, I, 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 yeah. genu- like if I met one in the street, I'd probably collapse. Like, you know what oh, I mean? Like, yeah. it's, they're like I feel like I know them intimately in a ways that. I don't know people I know. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's extraordinary. It's a, it's one of the great. Very glad of the meetup. It's one of the great, great documentary uh, of all time. One of the greats, absolute greats. And in a sense, it's just so it's such compassionate, dramatic storytelling, and then under it all, these are real people who exist yeah. and are having these thoughts in real life. So you know, the, the stakes are so much higher when yeah. when something goes wrong with their lives. And it does have other fascinating stuff, like you say. I think it's around twenty eight thirty five up where. One of them is homeless in Scotland yeah. and another one after seeing that film reached out. So by the next episode, they have spent some time living together and helped each other out. And Remarkable. It's, there's a real sort of meta aspect to it too. You know, the idea of does taking part in this and watching ourselves change how we live our lives? Yeah. And it's, if we had to take a part, would our lives be different yeah, and all that? Yeah, kind of, it's yeah. remarkable. There's so remarkable. much going on with it. All right. Then in terms Sheesh. of what I watched very, very quickly. Um, so let's start with uh, the almost weekly at this point is it even a movie entry which oh, is Jesus. Anima which is the Paul Thomas Anderson music video that runs no, for 15 minutes uh, oh. directing Tom York of Radiohead <laughs> scoring and starring in his own mind-bending visual piece to quote in that. other words man's middle age crisis movie <laughs> ah it's touch harsh but I take it's, the point you know it's, it's very impressive visually it's, it's, uh, it's one of the yeah. great cinematographers um, I mean you know, face, it's uh, not amazing it's not anything you should no. rush out and see it's a, I'm it's glad a music that it promo video uh, well it's a music promo video that lasts you know 15 minutes and I mean it's yeah it's um, grand it's very much in the style of again of silent cinema with its sort of very visual storytelling its emphasis on soundtrack and all this sort of stuff but it is very yeah we have an existential dilemma you know what are we doing a metaphor for man isn't modern life complicated gee, I wish that, you know, man wasn't alone in the universe and all that sort of stuff. But very, very well told. Um, and the soundtrack is quite good as well. Um, in terms of other questions, it definitely is a movie, but that doesn't mean it's any good on Netflix. Shaft! Uh, the 2019 reboot from Tim Story, who you may or may not know as the director of, among other things, the two Fantastic Four movies from earlier in the... Oh, damn. Uh, Tim Story's new movie out. Yeah! Uh, Ride Along and Ride Along 2, along with Taxi, Barbershop and Think Like a Man. Uh, wow, what a, yeah, what a scene. 
TV. And you, this can, is, you can really fail upwards as a male film director, can't you? This My is God. Really fascinating, uh, in large part because, well, first of all, who wanted another Shaft movie? And second of all, who wanted another Shaft movie like this? Samuel it, L. Jackson. Well, this is this is the thing. Samuel Jackson famously, like Samuel Jackson plays, um, he is the son of the original Shaft, played by Richard Roundtree, and is only five years younger than Richard Roundtree, which is something to behold. But he could just his, age him. That's like in Indiana Jones when Sean Connery was playing Harrison Ford's dad, and I think he's only what ten years older than him. Maybe really? Even that. Yeah, yeah. If even, and I mean, it's telling that like uh, Samuel Jackson's love interest in Shaft is Regina Hall. Oh, stop. Ah, yeah. uh, no. Will yeah, you that's stop? it. I was going to no. say how old is she, but I'm not even going to ask. Ah, uh, no. But anyway, so the, don't the, be telling me that. The basic plot. Of, she's not 17. Um, mm. The basic. Progress, huh? Oh, Jesus. The premise of the movie is already on shaky grounds when you start with, well, what if John Shaft's son was a nerd? And wouldn't that be a hilarious comedy? That's already like, like a bad premise. That's what wasn't even funny in the 80s. No, no, yeah, I, I know, right? <laughs> but, but then, wait for it. Oh God! Is he gay? You the police don't tell me he's gay. No, no, oh, no, no. Jesus, I can't you deal with that. You elevate to what if John Shaft's son was a millennial? No. Uh, this is a no. really so he's forty. <laughs> no, no, he's eighteen. He's, he's, he's like studio twi- executives only. No, he's, he's, he's thirty odd. He's working in the FBI, but he's working in cybercrime, so he doesn't have any quote unquote street experience. Um, this he is also a- probably doesn't have a house or any job security. But this yes. is a. This is a staggeringly uh, middle-aged conservative man's film. Um, there's a moment where John, Sh- where John Shaft, who is like just after excusing a naked woman from his apartment, turns to his son and says, "Your mother did one hell of a job turning you into a fine-ass white boy." To pick one example, oh, he like runs Lord. through. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry. Did I insult you? You?" And I'm quoting here actual dialogue that I wrote down: "Heteronormative, bi-curious, metrosexual, cisgendered. Please stop me when I tick your box." He that- doesn't even know what any of that means. <laughs> but yeah, it's it- like he went on it with like random millennial buzzword generator and just wrote down literally everything there's, that came up. There's an extended joke in it that is painfully what roast this thing? painfully <laughs> unfunny, and like it keeps coming back to it. Which is there's a charity at work in the community in Harlem called Brothers Watching Brothers. And John Shaft and every African-American man of the age of 60 or over thinks this is hilarious because they they got to change that name to quote the philosopher Method Man when he makes a cameo in that. It's really, really awful and terrible and backwards and regressive and like worryingly racist for a Shaft movie. It's a movie. It's it's That's basic, not, That shouldn't be possible, but they found it's, the it's way. It's staggering. Like, how can a Shaft movie be <laughs> racist? Like. But like, there's this recurring motif of, uh, I think they call it, was a, a paternal, a father figure deprivation running through it, which is this stereotype of the African-American father as neglectful and absent, which is really hurtful and harmful and the worst racist cliche and something that was very much popular in the 80s in terms of like portraying the African-American community. And it's something understandably people are very sensitive about now Shaft doesn't just commit to John Shaft being entirely absent from his son's life it retroactively rewrites um, John Singleton's Shaft from 1999 or 2001 to say that not only is this John Shaft a bad father turns out that John the original Shaft who was introduced as his uncle in John Singleton's 1999-2001 version was actually his father rather than his uncle and had just been pretending to be in order to abandon him and let him grow up by himself. It's god awful. I'm it confused is, and afraid. 
There's I'm, a there's a weird I'm subplot. Never going to watch this. There's a weird subplot Ever. involving possible terrorism at a mosque. Because obviously, because again, this is apparently conservative middle-aged man. Yeah, that's it. But here's the thing: it it's it stops just shy of being overtly racist. There aren't actually any terrorists there. But the film is weirdly invested in the dilemma that the FBI might be seen as being Islamophobic for raiding this mosque where innocent Muslims are praying, because the media will just be all over that. The media. It's, yeah, it's <laughs> terrifying. Um, there's a moment where like Titus Welliver shows up as like. <laughs> Yeah, as John Shaft's boss at the FBI and complains about, and I quote, his seven-year-old daughter who insists I call her Frank. It's not just bad, oh, it's stop. ugly. Nah. And it's not just ugly, it's unfunny. It's terrible. Grim. Really, really, really terrible. And then finally, I marathon through the um, Toy Story movies. Um, and they're all very good. They're all very charming. Well, my big surprise takeaway was that Toy Story 2 is the best of them. Um, no, it is. And it's it fascinating. Is. It's fascinating. It's not. Because no, it's not. You say that with such conviction. It is fascinating. Like, no. it, it's, it's not the best. It's, it's the not, best. Darren, it's not. It is absolutely Darren, is. we just stopped. It is the movie I would argue where Pixar became Pixar. It is the moment where Pixar discovered that, again, you had this theory of existential dread running through the original Toy Story with You Are a Child's Play thing, or the idea of Buzz being strapped to a rocket and so on and so forth. But Toy Story 2 is the first Pixar film that grapples with the idea that love, no matter how pure, is transient, and that no matter how much you love somebody, they will eventually throw you in the trash. You will eventually be disposed of. Not even you will die. You will be abandoned and alone and conscious throughout it for all eternity, and you will suffer alone, and you will never be loved again, and you will carry that weight and desperation with you. Has this person considered therapy? And that, like, that's it. And you know, most you know, most you, movies, you can get over it when your heart is broken. It's fine. It's mo- shit in the short term, but you'll be all right. Most movies would be like, ah, it's also grand. you're a toy. Yeah, <laughs> also that. Yeah. It's like get over yourself. You're a fucking wind up doll or whatever. That's the beauty of a Pixar film is that know, even toys and robots have that existential doubt. And I kind of adore that, like, for a family film in 1999 that was supposed to go direct. I like an existential drama as much as the next guy. But Toy Story 3 is better than Toy Story 2. I Agreed. Toy and Story Toy Story 3. is better than Toy Story 2. What? I've okay. only seen Toy Story 1. And only once. Toy Okay. Toy Story 3 is, you know, really good. It has it's a really great, great ending. It's got a powerhouse ending. I really, really like it. Oh, it's They're great. all it's fantastic. Great before the ending. They're but all fantastic. Anyway. And I mean, the, the prison stuff is great and all that sort of stuff. But it's very... It doesn't have the consistent existential through line that I think really elevates it. Plus, the, the, the toys go on adventures is very good. But I can see I'm not going to convince any of you to the, the right side of this God argument. Right, so we're going to move on to... a very sight. particular place. Talking about the... Uh, the week in film news. All right, so uh, in terms what of... What do you got? In terms of Irish news, uh, let's talk about a bit about July at the IFI. We, we mentioned a couple of these seasons before, but just to refresh, they have a Besson, Besson season coming? They do. Or Besson, they're doing all 13 of his feature films. They have already started this with Angels of Sin, I think two nights ago. I went along to it and it was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of a first film, but really fascinating. And I, it's really good to see them doing this kind of like comprehensive retrospective where you get to see everything yeah. um, obviously it's kind of a hard thing to pull off well, um, yeah when you when you have 13 films it's manageable though yeah yeah, yeah. absolutely uh, so it's nice that's running all through July and I'm looking forward to it there are a couple that are playing during the flash so I'll miss but I will be reporting back on plenty of these Perfect. Um, there's a couple of also musical themed uh, sort of stuff that's happening, documentaries. They're screening Pavarotti on Saturday the 13th of July. There'll be a Q&A after that one. Will there? They're also screening... Um, <laughs> Jay's the... going to be front row with all of his questions. Run. Leonard Cohen How do you get those yellow 
planned screenshots okay. into every film you make. Leonard oh, Cohen. Now to talk about Solo. Leonard Cohen passed away <laughs> in November 2006, just three months after his former lover and muse Marianne died. Their relationships explored the documentary Marianne and Leonard, uh, Marianne and Leonard: Words of Love, which is a new film from uh, Nick Broomfield, actually. Mm. Um, so they'll be screening that it'll be opening on Friday the 26th but there's a preview on Tuesday the 23rd which will be followed by a recorded Q&A uh, with director with Leonard Cohen well. I will be um, seeing it even before that at the FLA ooh wow okay yes. and then the IFI Family Festival which will be returning on the 26th we talked about that last week um, and their bigger picture selection this month is Iris Yes, in uh, sort of honour of the centenary of Iris Murdoch's birth. Uh, I'm going to go along to this because I'm reading my first Iris Murdoch novel at the moment and it's so much fun. And uh, just to give a quick run through of stuff that's opening at the IFI this month, Never Look Away, Vita in Virginia is opening this Friday. We'll talk about that in new releases. Uh, the Brink, The Dead Don't Die, Our Time and The Chambermaid. And one that will be exciting to both of our, uh, to at least two of our panellists, but I suspect you may be seeing this at the FLA is Varda by Agnes. Uh, you thought that will you'll be seeing at the FLA. We will. We will. We will. We'll be and I will be seeing it back the at the AFI probably, probably three well. to four times. <laughs> um, all right then. And meanwhile at the Lighthouse they're hosting a screening of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon with a Q&A by writer James Seamus um, on July 18th. So the legendary screenwriter, director and producer will be there for one night only. Uh, he'll be discussing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. So you can see it there on Thursday the 18th at 6.15pm in a film. newly restored 4K version as well. So that's very worth seeking out. I would, I would agree. Um, Ruzba Rishadi's ex- experimental feature film Phantom Islands is now available on Vimeo On Demand. Um, just to sort of this, stream and to raise awareness. Which this is, was in festivals, I think. Yeah, yeah. it was in the circuit a couple of years yeah. back. Uh, funded by the Arts Council of Ireland under the Real Arts Scheme, it premiered at the Dublin International Film Festival and received 30 screenings in festivals around the world. The, Dublin Art, the Real Arts uh, strand of funding is very, very good. Yep. We get generally get very, very good documentaries from it year on year. Um, it won the Best Experimental Feature uh, at Istanbul International Experimental Film Festival, so it's top of its class there. Had an entire issue of the magazine Film Panic exclusively dedicated to its making. Um, and it's attracted attention from people like Fergus Daly, for example, uh, but even journals including uh, Desist Film, The Arts of Slow Cinema, and uh, Cine Penseri as well. Um, so I would wholeheartedly recommend seeking that out if you get a chance. Um, in terms of other stuff, um, the Goway Film Flaw which is next week, people. Yes, it is. And we will hopefully be broadcasting live from there. I say we, I mean you guys. Uh, (laughs) We will. Because um, I'm no fun. Something may happen. Something may not happen. We do not know yet. It's It's all up in the air. It would be the greatest thing and we may be eating pizza. Do you want to talk very quickly about what you're most looking forward to at the FLA? Because they've announced the lineup. We talked a little bit about it last week, but you guys have had a chance to like, have we we browse your sheets? So like, look at your spreadsheets, pick what you're seeing. What are the highlights for you guys? What are you most looking forward to? If listeners, are in Galway looking to grab a hot ticket what would you recommend? Contractually obliged of course to say the Vardas yes <laughs> uh, but I'm looking forward to as as usual diving into the shorts there are nine Irish short film programs uh, kicking up a total of well over 60 uh, new Irish shorts just really looking forward to diving headfirst into those and, that's uh, kind of Ronan's area of expertise bag yeah, yeah. yeah he likes that uh, I'll, I'll probably get to a couple of them actually I'm hoping to get to a couple of them uh, in terms of uh films I want to see Best for Death Paul Dwan's uh, new documentary yeah. yes it's, it's associated with um, the other one they did yes, the KLF uh, the, um, the, which is well, one of your films that you so far my second was heard I can't think yeah. of the name of it but yeah that's exactly it What Time Is Death yes it's a death, death double bill yeah. um, <laughs> uh, don't worry he's got that dead to rights I do um, yeah. <laughs> obviously there's a few Vardas being shown as a bit of a season so 
we'll also see that. And so then, will you guys be watching any new movies? Yes, there's the Joanna Hogsden film The Souvenir, which I'm really hope, looking yeah, forward to. It. That um, uh, looks to be great. And there's some documentaries as well. J.R. and Bob Dobbs, I think it's called, a strange mm-hmm. kind of Texan documentary. And the, the documentary, because they're all about 80 minutes long, so, you know, we always get to those. And there's a horror film, I think, called Darling, with Darling with a... Polly, Pollyanna McIntosh directed oh. film which is shown uh, one of the late night ones which I'm hoping to get to too there is also I always pick one uh, film in every festival purely on the basis of its title this one is The Body Remembers When the World Broke Open yes. sounds great I'm actually that I have that listed as well that does sound great where's that from? Uh, I think it's American uh, it's the story between two Native American women um, oh, as far as I'm aware I try not to watch trailers at all if possible before I go into these things mm-hmm. um, but it looks really good and has got great reviews I think alright excellent the Flaz also announced some industry experts as speakers so just to run through I'll be very speaking quickly, then uh, will I? Uh, yeah um, James uh, Seamus who's doing the Lighthouse speech will be offering the he's keynote on tour. Uh, he's on tour um, Andy Mason who's the co-CEO of Altitude Film Entertainment uh, will be speaking as well from a hike um, I imagine <laughs> Brendan, sorry. Oh. sorry sorry that's actually uh, pretty good that's very good yeah. I know it's, it's a peaks peaks it is. Yeah. Man a coconut. Yeah. Uh, Brenda Romero who's a BAFTA award winning game designer artist and Fulbright recipient which opened the game industry in 1981 um, who's worked on everything from Dungeons and Dragons to Ghost Recon and Wizardry um, but yeah she'll be talking as well which is kind of nice sort of broadening out in terms of entertainment great um 30 years of sort of at the Toronto International Film Festival, Michelle uh, Mayou will be sort of uh, speaking as well. 40 years of operating experience in the motion picture inter- interview uh, industry, uh, 23 as executive director of TIFF. Um, so she'll be speaking very as well. good. So very worth seeking out as well. A wonderful sort of celebration film taking place there. Uh, very briefly, in terms of international news, uh, we probably have to mention this. Uh, it is the uh, Hale, Hale, Barry, Hale Bailey has been announced as the lead Hallie. in Little Mermaid. Hallie, is it? I think it's Hallie. <laughs> it's Hallie Bailey has been announced as the lead in the forthcoming live action Little Mermaid, which is great. Because um, if you're going to do That's those live action remakes, you might as well sort of do that. She yep. is her locks, damn it. One half of the R&B duo Chloe, uh, Choe and Haley um, as Ariel. I've never and heard of her. Melissa McCarthy is her. apparently being cast as the villain as well. All right, I, I, I can see that. This, yeah, this remix that. train is. Who's directing? Do we know who's directing? I don't believe that we have it. Um, right. I don't believe we have a director yet. I think that we're Bring sort of still back missing. Sophia Coppola. We were meant to have her Little Mermaid for a while, mm-hmm. a couple of years back. I imagine it would probably oh, be yeah. very Sophia different. Sophia Coppola, though, as much as I love her, is way too white for that. <laughs> like, I do love very her, true. but not maybe not for this incarnation of it. Yeah, on the evidence of the beguiled. I was about to say. <laughs> And maybe Lost in Translation. Um, I like Lost in Translation. I know I'm I'm one of the few people who still like... about her divorce. I don't like Lost in Translation. It's the only film of hers that I've seen that I don't like, but still. I'm one of the people who still likes Lost in Translation, but will not pretend that it doesn't have very serious problems. Anyway, on to the top ten. Yes. At number (laughs) ten, Child's Play. I still haven't seen this. I've heard good things, but I'm always a little wary uh, of these kind of... Films. You've been films. toyed with once too often. A little bit. I've like just been a hundred of them. Um, they're mostly terrible. A couple <laughs> of them were okay. Um, now you think the press is just dolling them up? No, I'm not. I'm not accepting it's that. Not, 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 not accepting that. That's, 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 that's a reach. I'm sorry. Provoked. Sorry. Sorry. I 
chuck Are me you? out for that? Yes, I would. That's, that, that's no, better. I was just set up for the other one. Um, <laughs> at number nine, it's Apollo 11, uh, which is great. Oh, I need to see this too. Um, I saw this at, in the IMAX screen because I'd seen it before. I'd watched it on my own personal screen at home because it's available. Your personal IMAX screen? Uh, no, I did not oh, watch right, it on my okay. personal But I went to see it in the IMAX in City World and it is amazing um, just in terms of like as a visual experience. Just um, kind of worth mentioning that there's also another... Um, Apollo 11 documentary about a Nazi that was part of the Von yeah, Braun yeah. isn't it which is very hard like it's just you know, keep mixing the two of them up every time I see them and yeah. then one of the posters is like a reflection of a uh, somebody uh, on the moon and the yeah. reflection from the thing and it says that's Apollo a 11 yeah. oh okay well then that's not Apollo 11 that's the Nazi that's how you tell the difference I don't know if it's like you know the moon ones the kind of comedy horror things than oh, like like I don't yeah. know if it's those I'm getting confused there's too many films there's too many films on the moon yes um, you're not it. over the moon about this. There are too many Nazis on the moon. I think we can all agree. <laughs> we can all there agree are too many that. Nazis everywhere, Ronan. Well, indeed. Um, indeed. But yes, well, one of the things I actually really liked about Apollo 11 um, is because, and again, you mentioned there that picture they have the iconic shot of one astronaut taking a photo of another astronaut yep. with the sun visor down, and you can see in the reflection both Earth itself and the astronaut who's taking the picture. And like that's very much what Apollo 11 is. It's not only about watching. You mentioned this with like you know the Up documentary series, but it's the idea of not only watching but watching being watched as well. There mm-hmm. are moments where they're in the control room and the camera is watching several other cameramen filming things. But you also have the cameraman filming the screen that's broadcasting from inside the spaceship as well. And you have this idea of how the moment is being preserved and narrativized as it's going on. I mean, one of the great things about it is that Apollo 11 doesn't actually feature any Talking Heads documentary. All of it's either pulled from like public record or from the footage that was actually kind of cultivated to make this documentary. It's almost a narrative film just shot with using real footage, mm-hmm. uh, which is remarkable. But it's it's because the narrative is already there, because the narrative has already been formed, you're able to do this. It's able to tell a linear story using real footage because that narrative is already in place. And it's absolutely fascinating. It's a beautiful film about watching and what and being watched at the same time, I absolutely adored it. Um, okay. Again, which is appropriate for a movie about going to the moon, because in that the the argument at Earth Earth Earthrise, the first shot of Earth and the Moon, which apparently yeah. changed the idea of kind of like how we see the world and how we yeah. see each other, and ties into this kind of bigger thing about whether or not monoculture even exists and how you fashion so many disparate views that we have at the moment into a single cohesive linear narrative. And Apollo Eleven is interesting, I think, and timely in the way that it manages to stitch together this collection disparate footage into It's interesting story. to see the marketing is very much of that kind of thing. Witness the moment we yeah. were last one or something like that. It's yeah. a tagline in the trailer, I've noticed. So yeah. they're, they're really pushing for that sort of, look, let's all come together. Yeah, well, that's it. And I mean, it, it's absolutely fascinating that because you know the story behind this, it was the, yeah. the oh, thousands and thousands of hours of footage. But like the fact that you can take all these different viewpoints and construct a narrative from them is interesting at this moment in time, culturally speaking. It's about as relevant as Nazis on the moon are, which is worryingly relevant um, at the moment. But yeah, no, I really liked it and would really, really recommend it. And number eight, back in the charts, um, because of course it is um, Avengers Endgame. Woo! Uh, weekend gross of 25,000 euro with new footage. This is what is the... this new footage of which you speak? Um, actually, no, don't tell I me. I say, don't even know it's that. It's actually, um, it's, uh, is I it read a about it. Is it tracking shot? Do you want me to tell you no, no, I can tell you what it is. Do it's Robert Downey Jr. No, I... back in the truck of money up to his house. There's a whole running joke in Endgame about Chris Evans' amazing ass. And they there's, call it. There's a shot? It's America's, America's ass. No, ass. There's, there's not really a shot. You don't, you get like, there's a quick and that's... They it's don't really focus on it. There's not like you don't get to see there the camera tracking. There aren't enough 
close-ups of it. That's why I'm yeah. thinking if they re-release it <laughs> with new footage, get, maybe there's a slow-mo tracking shot. And I mean, we, we, we talked about watching, watching. It's one moment of being Speaking one Speaking of yeah. peaches. Yeah. We're all right. brought together <laughs> watching America's ass. Yes. Yeah. What a world. I mean, like, it, it does end up with Chris Evans through the magic of, like, you know, whatever plot convolutions they're doing, watching his own ass. And perhaps I think I think his spiritual journey that of becoming one with himself. That's not to question it, Ronan, because he a question for me. He's don't, changed don't, don't. a lot since I stopped watching. <laughs> yeah, they, they got quite interdimensional and all that jazz. At number seven, while also somehow being in the new releases, Ronan, you either let me down or did me a solid on this. It's the Queen's Corgi, I which I got established I got, that this film does not have merit. Yes, I, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I got an invite to a screening of this, and there, I said there was no way that I was going to see this unless somebody I knew who was enthusiastic about dogs wanted to go see it. Yes. Or you could have just or looked Roland. at it and said, you know what, I'll stay home and watch something that I care for. And let the record show that immediately when you floated that idea, I said, no, 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 absolutely not. So. <laughs> Emphatically. Letting you down. No, no need to Ulcer say no, Ronan says no. <laughs> yeah, the Queen's Corgi, by all accounts, is Listeners, a horrendous Ronan uh, from what I gather. Yes, uh, featuring movies. Donald Trump as a major supporting character. See, that's literally all you need to know to write this movie off as the yeah. worst idea as and opposed the long, to the sad Queen's history Corky, of bad ideas. It's yeah. a, you yeah. could have made a, a sweet animated movie about the Queen's dog but and I would it would have been fine. But would never see You act as if you lost Jay at any yeah, point. You, you did lose me at Trump, I can assure you. We are queen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My point is, you could have made more of an argument for just a like generic family movie to exist and then yes. you put fucking Trump in there. Yeah, I know. Japan's canon. At number six, it's Rocket Man. Yeah, and he's not burning out all his fuel up there alone, it I seems. I only started singing Queen. I got confused. Ah, they're close enough. Has anybody seen this? You've seen I've it. seen it. Uh, I've seen Grace it. Has seen it. I liked it. I mean, You've learned, Ronan. You're not doing this again. I was dragged to Bohemian Rhapsody <laughs> against my will. No, Rocket Man is, is you are not dare I say, Rhapsody grand. Man? It is actually a fairly enjoyable picture. I just don't feel like the marriage of material and director works because mm. it leans into a much more musical slash theatrical approach. And I just wish that they had gone with the director with a bit more visual panache to him. Like Ron Howard. Like Ron Howard, <laughs> yes. How dare you, not Ron Howard. <laughs> At number five, Secret Lives of Pets 2. Nine. I got nothing. Nope. No. Sorry. All right. <laughs> At number four, it's Men in Black International, which is holding on relatively well for a box office bomb. I still got nothing, but Tessa Thompson looks great and everything. Yeah, yeah. it's not good. Not quite um, enough to see it, though, it's unfortunately. weirdly 90s. It feels very much like a throwback. It's as if the script was sort of stuck in the 90s uh, and never updated. It's Grim. very odd. And it's not good. And it seems to believe that you can make a movie like you did in the 90s, but without like the framework around it. Now, to be fair, that is the kind of wishful thinking a great many of us have. This has just proved our hubris and why we should never. In terms of it, that's right. Ronan looks like he's. Yeah, wasn't there a whole thing a while back, and I can't remember what, but they were going to mix up Men in Black with another franchise. Yes, they're going to combine it with 21 Jump Street. Oh, yeah. I would have loved that. Uh, Yeah, I knew it was something that was just. That, w- that, that was would've, stupid. That would have benefited Men in Black greatly, but would have... Why hasn't that happened? Mm-hmm. What do you mean, why hasn't that happened? Yeah, because it that was such yet. a weird idea to well, put because... out there that you don't say that unless you're doing it. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing, is that that's a modern idea. That's an idea mm. that's rooted in this idea of intellectual property. And yeah. The, the emerging, universe. Which is the shared universe in inverted oh. commas. And, but no, no, but it, it's it's a modern 21st century yeah. idea. Can whereas... I just take a moment to throw out the Scanon shared universe where Varda somehow gets <laughs> mixed up with a Nolan movie and, like, James Badge Dale oh is God. in it? 
it, and Michael Bay has directed it. <laughs> oh, I don't know what to say. And very close to Dunkirk. In the corner with a dog. <laughs> but uh, tell yeah. me, you wouldn't watch that? I would probably watch that. Yeah, man. Yeah. The issue of Men in Black International, though, was that instead of doing that weird, monstrous thing that we kind of discussed there, they decide that they can try and do a movie rooted in the star personas of two actors who, and although I love them both very much, are not stars in the way that Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones were when the original was made. How dare you say that about Emma Thompson? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> she's great. She's having a great summer. Uh, at number three, is. Aladdin. Yeah. Nope. Do you want to guess how much this has earned at the Irish box office far, to date? Far too much. 64 4. euro. 5 million euro. 3.95 million euro. Okay, 2.3 million euro, which is pretty good. <laughs> Practically nothing. <laughs> it's change. All right. Yeah. Whoa, okay. Uh, but yeah, so this will be getting out of the way in a couple of weeks to make room for The Lion King, but it's had a very healthy oh, haul since. How many of and, these are there? Well, I mean, we literally just literally talked about it like the Little Mermaid. Little Mermaid. Has yeah. Disney crossed 20 billion at the global box office what, this year? No, they're aiming for 9 billion. Live action nine billion. Yeah. Damn the I odds mean. are that Disney will control 9 billion, will make 9 <sighs> billion dollars by the end of this year. My We're God. just going to have to and make our own movies at number two certain to top Jay's list you, of favourite films of the year oh, shit. What is already it? in at number one I'd be surprised if Jay hasn't seen this I'd be shocked four or five times I'm fairly sure it being at number two is a direct uh, result of Jay's investment one of his favourite filmmakers yeah and one of his favourite writers working together with the soundtrack from one of his favourite bands it is Yesterday Oh, well, this fucking well. shit show. All right. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, we should point out Jay has not actually seen yesterday. And nor will I. And he is not a fan of Richard I go one. Richard Cortez is the devil incarnate as a writer. I saw a tweet a earlier dude. saying that yesterday is like a remake of Notting Hill. And it hinges very much on it. The Which iconography is. I find is. intriguing because I actually thought Notting Hill was kind of good. Even I, by today's standards. Grace, all I'll say is. terrible. If you, go see, if you go see yesterday, I will never speak to you again. <laughs> That's, 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 I'm, it's a wow. red line. Why would you put Whoa. this horrible dilemma in front of me when Lily James is right there and I'm contractually yeah. no. obliged to love Lily no. James? No, I love Lily James, but I'll never forgive her either for uh, this. Yeah. Blame her agent. Don't okay, blame Lily. Opinion. Sorry, Dylan. Anadarmus. Sorry, them all. I'm sorry. No. However, I've They're also done. heard that there's. We're done here. <laughs> professionally. Some we are egregious done insulting of brunette curly hair, which is just not, not mm. acceptable. Fair. It's not. not acceptable now, lads. I'm not. I'm not watching this because it's a I, travesty. I won't watch this because I didn't get invited to the premiere and can't find oh. the time to. And uh, Richard Curtis is a war criminal. Yes. Forgive him for about time. About time is a, like a fucking awful movie that gets creepier and creepier the more you think about it. It's the worst it I've ever made. It was pretty creepy the first time I watched it. And that casting Donald Gleeson gets you halfway there. But no, I mean, the thing with... You that, him out of none this. of this is Donald's fault, possibly. I don't know. I haven't seen it and I won't. Because Jay won't talk to me if I do. I kind of want you to see it about time. Just to... They want, just want to see get face. my response um, and in yeah. that regard Grace see yesterday so we can hear you rant about it what but if you love it don't ever speak to me again that's the law we've got another 13 hour situation <laughs> also because I remember this very vividly it was July last year when I watched 13 hours we are coming up Where'd on you? the one year no. anniversary oh God, of Grace. this great moment in the what have you become? history my sweetest so life friend life is so disappointing sometimes people are just everything you know Jay Maybe if you hadn't told end. me yeah. that James Badgedale would die before he, we got married. He, I did tell Grace here the week that if they ever get married, James Badgedale will die just before He'll he gets to the altar. altar right that's that's what he does in every film. What a tragedy. But what a beautiful romantic tragedy. Oh, imagine a movie where himself and Sean Bean are like partners who are both one day away from retirement. Oh, man. 
Anyway, but yeah, what I've heard about... There's a lot of loose scaffolding around. (laughs) (laughs) This apartment is a death trap. Um, But uh, yeah, one of the things I've heard about yesterday, which is most interesting, is that all the stuff that's not actually in the movie. So like, how do you end up with Ed Sheeran if the Beatles don't exist? Because Ed Sheeran is obviously like a product of 90s Britpop to a certain extent. So the guy with the guitar, like Oasis. I was going to say, you were going down a dangerous road here if you're going to compare Ed Sheeran to No, no, but hang on. Ed Sheeran is a product of Oasis? He's the guy with the guitar. The British invasion. Ed Sheeran is a a product of every creepy idiot in every party playing his guitar and creeping on women. That's what Ed Sheeran is a product of. Ed Sheeran can trace the popularity and success of his entire career to the fact that Taylor Swift put him on her fourth album and without that Taylor you war criminal we would not a lot of war criminals I'm about to say the the weird nexus of like scan on podcast hate has just expanded remarkably I know sorry Um, sorry Taylor but you're cancelled we are not blaming Oasis or the Beatles we are but Blaming Taylor Swift, my, we must blame anyone. Yes. My question is, Even though, though Taylor is, is a princess. how do you end up with Ed Sheeran without the Beatles if you lose that connective tissue between the two? How does Ed Sheeran happen? More he than that. Away. Can we More spoil than, the film? John Lennon is alive in it. Is he really? <laughs> Sorry, I read it. It's fucking ludicrous. I don't know who plays him. Who cares? John Wifebeater Lennon, I might add, is the hero of the film. Which you go, which is not necessarily the hero. I don't care what he is. It's a joke shop. I want it again for the record. Jay has not seen the movie. No, because what if I wanted to see it, Jay? Jay has not seen this movie. You can edit it out if you want. No, no, it's fine. I just, I find that you're like. This idea, which you read on Wikipedia, is the worst thing ever. I, I have not t- seen I it in action. I am taking Wikipedia as a bible in this regard. No, no, I know. I, I, <laughs> Incidentally, Wikipedia has been repeatedly edited yes. from yeah. the last line in the plot synopsis of this film, and it is a scream. It I is. I believe it. Harry Potter. I don't know what else. He has wakes happened. up and discovers that the stereophonics never existed. The last time I checked, it was he's the only person who knows 9/11 happened. It's fantastic. Oh God. All right, at number one. Having already earned 2.4 million euro at the Irish box office a day, which brings it, it up Spider-Man? to beat with Aladdin, oh. is Toy Story 4, which ah. is beautiful, sweet. And I saw it uh, earlier this week again. All right. And I cried because I'm a beautiful Darren doesn't cry. This is the first time I've cried since Dunkirk, actually, which is. Oh, wow. I is, cried at Dunkirk too, Darren. But yeah, no, Sorry. so it's, it's been, That's you know, so, and it, it's profound. It's really moving. It's really, really sweet. And it's great because, again. I can't picture you crying. I can't either. <laughs> It's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's really weird. Yeah, it was. I can't c- picture that kind what of lip wobble. What are these water things that I'm, fall out of my eyes? I'm leaking. Eyes. I'm leaking. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it's incredibly sweet. It's very charming. It's got this, and again, it, it's got this wonderful ending, which feels very appropriate. It's about moving on and letting go in a way that feels like a healthy companion piece to Toy Story, uh, Toy Story Three as well. Okay, it's absolutely fascinating. So when we have Toy Story eighty nine, um, yes, will we'll, we still be talking about it? About Toy Story Four, but no, it, it's it's wonderful. I wholeheartedly recommend. It. It's one of my favorite films of the year so far. I'm a little bit kind of upset to find that I don't feel compelled to go to this because yep. I remember back when Toy Story uh, 3 came out and this was nine years ago now um, thinking like oh I don't know if that's a good idea it's been so long you know the exact same film yeah. as I'm having now essentially and the film very much ended up earning that because as somebody who like grew up with Toy Story as a kid uh, it perfectly addresses the whole idea of going off to college leaving your childhood behind yeah. like the very summer I was doing the exact same thing it hit very close to home um, and it's it's weird to me that I don't feel in any way 
drawn to see Toy Story 4. I probably will, but I don't know if I'm going to catch it in cinemas. I, I'm just Disney. I mean, I, I, it's, it's no, the I sort of the grand commercial machine of yeah, it now just I, has me exhausted. I felt very much the same way when I was sitting down watching it the first time. In fact, mm-hmm. that's why I suspect I cried the second time and not the first time. I think sure. The first time I was rather jaded and cynical to a certain extent. Because you know me. I'm jaded, gold, cynical. Like and a robot. Crying. It's and, true, he is. And, and then, you know, the second time it got through to me, just a little plastic hand on a little concrete wall. That seems creepy. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's move on to talk about the new releases. Um, so out this week, actually, I think one of us has seen this, Vita and Virginia. One of us has not seen this, Vita <laughs> and Virginia, which uh, was screened in association with the uh, Gayest Film Festival uh, two weeks ago. Um, I'm actually very curious to see this one. This is uh, Elizabeth Debicki. Um, and okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> this, yes. This looks really good. Yeah, I'm really yes. in the support. Well, I, will, I shall catch this. Uh... One of us will see this movie. There, you bet your bottom dollar, Darren. All right. Also opening this week is The Queen's Court, but we talked enough about that. Out this week again is Don't Look, Never Look Away, which was released a couple of weeks ago, I'm fairly sure, but obviously the release date shifted. This is the German artist Kurt Barnard, who has escaped East Germany and now lives in West Germany, but is tormented by his childhood under the Nazis and the GDPR... GDPR 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 They will not let me at the data Why won't they let me at the data All I want is the email address I just want to know What his HR records are This film is going to come Now that you've said it Upgrading Keep your hands off my cookies What is his phone number Upgrading my phone Was never this difficult before I live in West Berlin! Why can't they deal with me <laughs> over the phone like they used to? We apologize to listeners for in our Germany. terrible German accents. Um, oh god, I have a headache. Is that all you apologize <laughs> All the other material I can, is gold. I can actually see another movie now. An alternative history where the GDPR are in charge of research. The Stasi are after you for your time and the your name. The lead character of yesterday wakes up and discovers he's the only one who remembers GDPR. <laughs> Let's get editing on Wikipedia. That's me, <laughs> Good night. Uh, also out this week, um, and I'm kind of curious about this, but also filled with existential dread. Ronan, you talked about this when you said, Did Toy he? Story 3, how could this possibly live up to my expectations and bring closure to all this stuff that I felt when I watched the previous installments? Oh, God, I'm afraid. It's Escape Plan 3. No, stop. It's out this weekend on video on demand. And apparently, it's like it's in out. a... It's not actually coming out. It's well, they're trying to break it out. There's a bargain bin somewhere <laughs> you can find it. You're fucking stupid enough to go and seek it out. It's trying to escape, ironically enough. But yeah, so. Sly, you are better than this. He can be. He chooses Those not to Chinese be Chinese investment companies pay a lot of money. Apparently, it's fascinating. Uh, one of the things I've read about it that makes me kind of want to see it. Darren, is the you're way... seeing it. Nobody doubts you're seeing oh, it. Oh, I'm holding a copy of Escape Plan 2 in my hand. Like, not metaphorically. Yeah, not metaphorically. I'm holding a copy of he's not he's actually on a Blu-ray um, yeah that's it but like the thing Wait, about did escape... you order this with, with like and pay for it money. <laughs> did you pay cash well, money for this thing I choose not to answer on the grounds of being incriminate me oh my um, goodness but anyway so the, the issue with escape thing that I've heard about escape plan 3 which makes me very curious about it is that apparently curious. it balances two competing masters on the one hand what Batista? Uh, no, no, but uh, no, allegorically and metaphorically in what it's trying to do. So it's trying to appeal to the rural Trump crowd in that it's set in rural Iowa. Um, right. But it's also trying to appeal to that lucrative Chinese market. 
So it's three characters or Chinese or something, is it? Yeah, but anyway, no, it's about okay. like a it's about somebody who's kidnapped from Iowa to a Chinese prison, but it's okay because they're doing a deal with a Chinese cell phone manufacturer that will bring Huawei? jobs to the Rust Belt. Oh yeah, no no. Like this is the thing about Escape Plan Two. Escape Plan Two is about somebody who works at a again an anonymous Chinese cell phone company, um, but who's been kidnapped in order to provide the cynical American capitalists who have abducted him with a backdoor into the data network. Of course, he's put in That's a power... That's not even subtle. No, but this, this Chinese developer is put in a situation because, you know, the network is unhackable. There is no backdoor. The encryption <laughs> is so perfect that even he can't hack it. So why wouldn't you buy a Chinese cell phone? I mean, seriously. Have they considered hiring Hugh Jackman from Swordfish? <laughs> um... <laughs> All right, and out this week as well, because it's a big release. It's a big weekend uh, in terms of release, I suspect, because it's July 4th in the States. Midsummer Murders. <laughs> I believe someone remarked that's what's going to happen on this podcast when any of us see it. Uh, yeah. It's hard Ari Asher's to... Ari follow-up to Hereditary. Hard to quantify the excitement around the table right now. No, you'll We've notice that Jay is the number zero. Is speaking. <laughs> zero is a quantity. We are being very polite. I'm not saying a word. Yeah. I'm going to see this. I will probably and see let's this. see what happens. Yeah, I will probably see this. Um, 147 are, minutes. Yeah, that's are off-putting. very excited about this. People who've seen it are very enthusiastic about yes. it. And I mean, I'm glad that people are happy. Would I'm they, not. Would they stop? <laughs> would they stop? <laughs> would they stop? Um, out this week, interesting enough, I'm kind of curious where is actually screening this. Uh, Luc Besson's Anna. Oh, Sorry, is he still a thing? Oh, Luc Besson is a creep. No, he should not fund he anything he ever to does. Avoid How is that possible? France, France has a weird cultural relationship yeah. to this. There, so the, well, the weird the cultural whole... relationship with sexual harassment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's considerably more acceptable in France, which is yep. well, wasn't that part of the backlash to Me Too came from French actresses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, what? They very much over there, sort of like that is how men behave. Presently, that is mysteries. But anyway, yeah. Anna is opening, for you, um, starring Sasha Lewis, Helen Mirren, Luke Evans, and Killian Murphy. Um, oh, geez, Killian that's Murphy, a bad look, WTF. Lads. Disappointed in all of these people. You're better than this, Helen. And the big release of the week, it's Spider-Man Far From Home. Da, 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 I believe Grace has seen this. I have seen this. I saw this last night. And I liked it. An equal amount to the amount that I liked Homecoming, all of which is rooted squarely in Tom Holland. So <laughs> I'm not even going to lie. Um, but no, this is... This isn't... Is I it Mr. To... Holland's opus? <laughs> oh, Stop. God. Um, I want to call this an interesting picture, but I feel like that word has been destroyed on this podcast. Just destroyed. So What? Yeah, it just, it has certain connotations. It it's not fascinating. No. <laughs> um, there are parts of this that I think are interesting. It's a very strange tonal shift in part. Like I was saying earlier, like from my perspective, because opinions on the MCU differ in this room, um, <laughs> Homecoming and to a certain extent in Infinity War, I read Tony Stark as trying to shield, if you'll pardon what could possibly be a pun. Yeah, no, that's, that's solid um, pun. Uh, Peter from some of the wider evils in the world. And you can read into that whichever way you like. But in this movie, because Tony is, spoiler, dead after Endgame, um, Peter is kind of just left to his own devices and also obviously Peter was snapped back into existence at the end of Endgame so and very conveniently most of his class seemed to have been snapped back into existence too so he actually knows everyone and it's like That's nothing nice. has changed but um, yeah anyway so this movie is basically about Nick Fury just 
stalking him and constantly intimidating him into coming to save the world from these interdimensional beasts that may or may not be Jake Gyllenhaal as a hologram. That's a lot of spoilers, sorry. Um, anyway, um, so it's kind of weird because it feels like you sort of moved from this situation where you are quite happy to portray Peter as your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man who's much more small scale and worried about his neighborhood and just kind of wants to help the people around him into literally guilt tripping someone who's for all intents and purposes a teenager into saving the world because the Avengers aren't really there anymore so that's kind of weird I don't think the film really knows what to do with it and you end up with that sort of just hanging around the outside of what could otherwise have been a relatively fun high Straightforward school kind of thing. school trip movie because the rest of it is quite cute. Now, I do think there are too many characters in it and it's too long, which is the same problem I had with Homecoming. So it means that you get sort of snippets of everyone instead of any real depth anywhere. Um, but that is kind of the trade-off you get in the MCU. You always have tons of people and tons of stuff going on. But yeah, so it, it's kind of strange in that sense, but it is enjoyable. I liked it. Jake Gyllenhaal is very fun. Um, his plot twist character moment really reminded me of Edward Nygma and Batman Forever, which I obviously greatly appreciate. It right wouldn't. down to the way there's parts of this where he has little green targeting lasers <laughs> sticking out of people's foreheads. And I was like, oh, you went there. I know where you got that. You're going to try and tell me you didn't get it from Batman Forever, but it was Batman Forever. So, yeah, it's enjoyable. And the mid-credits um, sting, which probably should, just should have been the last scene of the movie, um, is very fun. And actually sets up something quite interesting for what may come next. What I will say is I actually think this is a pretty solid film. Um, it's Jesus. Recently, no, it's, <laughs> I'm going to faint. No, I know it is. It's, it's well constructed. It's fun. The cast are absolutely charming. It works very well when it does. Like Spider-Man Homecoming worked best when it was sort of a John Hughes riff in a superhero costume. This is best when it's sort of like a low-key super, you know, superhero movie. Low-key. Uh, ah, yeah. so but it's sort of low-key kids Sorry. on vacation having fun in Europe film. And what's interesting is we've reached the point where the movies are so... It happens with every franchise. It happens, for example, with the James Bond movies where you hit like GoldenEye Casino Royale. It happens with Doctor Who and it happens with Star Trek where you have this thing where Star Trek Enterprise pick an example where something's been running so long that inevitably becomes a certain extent about itself. It's ironic with the Marvel Cinematic Universe because it's only been 10 years but it's been 23 films. So you reach a point where the Marvel Cinematic Universe is almost about itself to a certain extent. And what you have with Far From Home and Grace pointed out there with Nick Fury and kidnapping. The word kidnapping is actually used by Mysterio by Quentin Beck at certain points to describe it. He's just he's he's not he's not he's not paying you know he's not uh, drifting off he's just thinking about how you kidnapped him and all his friends. But the idea in Spider-Man Far From Home is that Spider-Man is being abducted from his role as the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and dropped into a Marvel Cinematic Universe film, right down to the fact the plot is actually structured as an explicit parody of Infinity War and Endgame. You have this narrative with a 3D hologram where uh, Quentin Beck narrates about the history of the universe and the elemental forces that date back to predate existence, which is very much riffing on a specific scene from the start of Infinity War. But this idea of collecting things going on a little fetching quest, which is the plot of Infinity War and video games and stuff like that, but the idea you can combine those things and they become stronger, like, uh, I don't know, Power Rangers, or wait, you're thinking of Voltron. But this idea that runs through it of, like, Peter Parker, who is supposed to be this small kid who's having a wonderful time and supposed to be this low-key hero, getting sucked into a CGI blockbuster spectacle right down to the casting of Quentin Beck as an auteur who's like, I want more. I want passion. I want anger. I want emotion. There's points where he's like revising the script as he's literally shooting. Yeah. It's 
astounding. And Gyllenhaal is amazing. And you watch for the first half, and it's like you can see you're wondering what's Gyllenhaal doing here. It's very much it's a crisp it's very performance. Very obvious what's going on. Uh, no, no, it is very obvious either. what's going on. But like when you hit the second half, you see why Gyllenhaal took the job. Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal took the job because <laughs> it's like you get like PG thirteen Nightcrawler. P, you know that sort of performance going on where there's a little bit of like the prima donna, little bit of scenery chewing, little bit of I'm having a great deal of well, fun. Well, there's a doing. bit more levity to it than that because I think like Jake Gyllenhaal has been trying to convince us all that he's some great dramatic actor for the past few years and it's like Jake calm the fuck down have the crack occasionally <laughs> and he actually manages to do that here I think and also he actually looks healthy for the first time in several years which is nice yeah. it's like Jake you had a sandwich I'm proud yeah. of you this I'm is proud. this is this is a movie where, where like the super villain ends up in a green screen suit for an extended portion of it and I absolutely adore literally? that aspect of it very yeah. literally oh. um, they're holograms a, it's very much about spectacle and about construction about this idea of movie making and events storytelling and stuff like that and how difficult it is and it's about the MCU to a certain extent I would argue and I think it works well when it broaches those ideas I don't think it sticks to the landing the film's central conflict is this idea of being a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man or being the next Iron Man and mm-hmm. the idea with Spider-Man is that Spider-Man's a distinctive brand and character mm-hmm. who has a long history and a persona that people recognize he has an iconic costume an iconic look that people look at and see and think that's Spider-Man and they know one is he has a catchphrase great, with great power comes great responsibility he has a cartoon he has a theme song that people can hum you know can people hum an Iron Man or a Thor or Captain America theme song off the top of their heads that sort of I thing I probably could but I mean um, but, I'm me. but you have that sort of tension within there And the question at the heart of the film is, is Peter Parker a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man or is he the next Iron Man? And the film's answer to that, and I think, you know, Grace described as a tonal imbalance. I would agree it's an imbalance. I think it's more thematic, but it is also tonal. The film doesn't know how to answer that in Mm -hmm. what should be, when you look at the structure of the film, the right answer. And I won't say more because that's probably too much of a spoiler. But yeah, we we'll... spoiled literally everything. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair point. It does feature. That's on me. It does feature. Uh, <laughs> it does feature Peter Parker constructing a new suit with holograms. The theme of Black Sabbath. So, no, no, a- ACDC is yeah. back in black. To which which is a... he says he loves Led Zeppelin. God yeah. bless him. But it is this idea. He literally becomes Tony Stark. Holland's he is... great, though, isn't he? Holland yeah. is very good. He's a very charming young performer. I really like. Um, he's really good. Um, Anyway, so that about wraps it up. But if people look for or Jay a bit more Grace a bit more Ronan in their lives, where can they find you guys? Uh, I'm spoiling movies on Twitter <laughs> at Jay Coyle. Literally and figuratively. Yep. I am at Pixie Grace on Letterboxd and Twitter. On the Twitter and the Letterbox, likewise, at Baron Ronan. On the Twitter. I like that. The Twitter. Uh, I know all the Twitters. All the Twitters. I've got all of them. <laughs> I love Brian. Some Gleason. of my best friends are Twitters. Yeah, that's in... Um, that's in Logan Logan Lucky. Logan Lucky. Yeah. I know all the Twitters. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> emails, great, like, facts, I can do yeah, it for I can you. Do all of it, all of it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I co-host another podcast called The 250, where each week we discuss a new movie on the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. This week we're discussing a new entry. It is Toy Story 4. So join myself and Andrew this Saturday at noon when we'll be talking about that. Follow us online at The 250, listen to us SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever. Follow me on Darren underscore Mooney. Uh, the underscore is actually an underscore, and my middle name is not underscore. Take it easy. We'll be back <laughs> next week. Tremendous disappointment. Bye. Say hi. Bye. Bye.